Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. In this podcast, we explore some of the little-known legends, stories, places, and rumors about the great Buckeye State. We're your hosts, Mike and Dan. So hide the keys, lock the doors, and turn down the lights. The next episode is about to begin. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. In tonight's episode, we will discuss Blanche Noyes. She was a pioneering female aviator and was Ohio's first female licensed pilot. And among the first 10 women to ever receive a pilot's license in all of the United States. She would be called the Dean of American Women Pilots, and Blanche Noyes had a long, distinguished career not only as a pilot, but as as an endless champion of many aviation causes. Hey, Dan. Hey, Mike. You know, she sounds like a, uh, she was very passionate about aviation. You know, Blanche Noyes was, and she really devoted her entire life to it. So let's go. Tell me more. All right. So Blanche Wilcox was born on June 23rd, 1900 in Cleveland, Ohio. She was born to a construction contractor father and housewife mother. She displayed an independent spirit by abandoning her formal studies in favor of a career on stage as a theatrical actress and as a silent screen star. She became well-known on Broadway and popular theaters all along the East Coast. So it sounds like she was starting to get famous. Yeah, you know, she really was. She was on her way. And in 1927, while touring with a stage show, she was invited to attend a dinner in Pittsburgh honoring America's newest hero, Charles Lindbergh, who had just crossed the Atlantic and he was on a tour across the country with dinners where he would talk about this solo crossing of the Atlantic. While she was at the dinner, she met a handsome, young, local airmail pilot named Dewey Noyes. Dewey was also a passionate aviation advocate, and Dewey would ask Blanche if she liked airplanes, and Blanche said, oh yes, even though she had never seen an airplane before. Dewey talked about airplanes for hours, while Blanche pretended to be interested because she thought he was cute. Before the night was over, and after several bottles of champagne, Dewey had won a promise from Blanche to take a ride in his airplane. Sounds like maybe she didn't know what she was getting herself into. Yeah, I don't think she did, and probably Dewey didn't know what he was doing either. Well, the following week, as promised, Dewey took Blanche for her first airplane ride in his OX-powered Waco 9. Before taking off... Dewey asked her if she liked stunt flying, and again, even though she had no idea what it was, she said, oh, yes. So Dewey took her up in his airplane, where he proceeded to every trick that he knew. He did loops, rolls, and even some spins. And upon landing, he expected Blanche to be terrified, but instead, she claimed she loved it, except for the fact that every time that he would roll the airplane, they would wind up very low over a cemetery. Sounds like she was enjoying the ride, though. 
Yes. She said that once she took that first ride, the hook was in. Blanche and Dewey were quickly inseparable, and one year to the date of their first flight, they were married. As an airmail pilot, Dewey was putting in long hours, and Blanche was learning to cook and enjoy domestic life. One night, Dewey came home, and Blanche said, You're late. Dinner is ruined. To lighten the mood, Dewey said, Honey, would you like to learn to fly? And to humor him, she said yes. And the next night, he comes home and says, Honey, guess what? I bought you an airplane. Dewey had purchased a Waco 10 from the Waco plant to use as an airmail pilot and also for Blanche to learn to fly with. So she really was on board with the plan? Uh, Yeah, evidently she was because she took to flying right away. Dewey at first arranged for her lessons through another instructor, but took over the duties himself after the instructor declared Blanche to be too timid. A lot of their instruction was at the kitchen table with Dewey creating the controls using a broom handle as her flight control. After just three hours and 45 minutes of flight instruction and many harsh words, tears, and sleepless nights, Dewey gave her a kiss and sent her up alone, much to her surprise, for her first solo flight. The last thing he told me, she would recall, was to remember, if the motor quits on takeoff, go straight ahead, keep your nose down, and cover up your face, and the worst you'll get out of it is a couple of broken arms and legs. So this is her solo flight? This is her solo flight. So it's her solo flight, and everybody knows about it. And virtually every single person at what is now Cleveland Hopkins Airport had lined up to watch her first solo flight. So there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of people watching her. And one male pilot was heard to say, all I want her to do is see one woman pilot solo. Once she was up in the air, another pilot was heard to say, oh, great. Now we'll have to get a gun and shoot her down. Not only was her December 28, 1928 solo flight the first for a woman at Cleveland Airport. It led to her becoming the first certified woman pilot in Ohio, as well as one among the first 10 in the country, when she received license number 6450 in April 1929. Mm, Women flying planes, this must have been a shock to a lot of people. You know, that's absolutely correct. And that, that thought was really prevalent, especially back then. People didn't think that women had the ability to fly. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people thought that was the case. Well, Blanche learned to fly very quickly, and in July, she was the first woman in Ohio to pass her limited commercial test, and by October of that same year, Dewey would encourage her to enter the first Women's Air Derby of 1929. It was the first of its kind, a cross-country air race. While Dewey didn't have a lot of time himself to teach Blanche, they practiced navigation the evening, and Dewey said, now if you can fly from here... From the Cleveland airport to Akron, Ohio, you can fly anywhere in the world. So was she going to fly the plane that Dewey just brought her? Uh, Not exactly. So Dewey understood that to be competitive, she would need a faster plane. And back in those days, there weren't a lot of planes. There was not a plane mart. You could just drive down the road and pick up another one. So you would have to coordinate this really in advance. Um, So what they settled on was a brand new Speedwing travel air biplane powered by a Wright J5 engine, and they would secure sponsorship with the Halley Brothers of Cleveland, 
with the understanding that any prize money they would win, it would be used to pay back the cost of the airplane, which in the sponsor's mind was very doubtful. It sounds like there wasn't a lot of confidence in her abilities. Um, I think that's part of it. And I think maybe, maybe even more than that, people weren't simply used to women competing in the same arenas as men. And really, she would go on to face that, uh, that same obstacle really her whole life. So Blanche is on her way out to California to prepare for the race. And when she's climbing in her airplane, she was, it was said that she turned green because the airplane had no door. And she was unsure if she could fly it or not, but she kind of knew she had to. The motor was 225 horsepower, and Blanche was only used to flying 90 horsepower. The plane had a top speed of 250 miles an hour, and Blanche had never flown over 90. And she quickly came to enjoy flying the plane. Now, there was a stipulation in the race, and there were separate rules for the men and the women. And one of the rules was for the women is that the plane had to have appropriate horsepower for a woman. What does that mean? What is appropriate horsepower for a woman? What's appropriate for a man? But evidently, it was okay because she was... In the race, they had accepted her to airport, so she's now flying from Cleveland out to California to start the race. Blanche was flying over Oklahoma on her way out to the start of the Women's Air Derby, which was so-called the Powder Puff Race. She was singing at the top of her lungs when she was surprised to hear the motor cut out. Uh Uh-oh, trouble. Oh yeah, and it won't be the last encounter with trouble either. So what had happened was her motor quit, and now this was going to be her first dead stick landing. And a dead stick landing is landing without any engine power. She remembered Dewey had told her that if you're having a dead stick landing, and if you don't have brakes, look for a field that might have a hill and then land up the hill. So you're landing uphill. She was fortunate to find a hill, but then she also remembered Walter Beach, who created the airplane. He advised her to land hot. Now, Because this was a brand new airplane and because this was a faster airplane, you needed a longer distance to stop and consequently you needed a longer distance to start as well. And that's going to be part of the story a little bit later on. What what, what was the, sorry to interrupt you, what was the to land hot, what does that mean? Uh, To land hot means you have to land fast. Okay. Whereas in most airplanes, when they land slow, you'd want to land as slow as possible because, you know, lower airspeed, less chance for accidents. But landing hot means you have to land a lot faster. So she understands that she's going to need a lot of distance, and she doesn't she doesn't have it. So she has Dewey's advice playing in her head. She has Walter Beach's advice playing in her head, and she kind of does both. So here she is. She's landing on a hill. She's trying to land uphill, but she needs a lot of room, and she runs out of room. So as she's landing with as much speed as she can, she goes right up and over the crest of the hill. And on the other side of the hill is a large pile of rocks. She didn't see this pile of rocks. And she had considered herself an artist at what they call ground looping. And ground looping is when the airplane spins on the ground. It's kind of a dangerous practice and you can get hurt and you can damage the airplane. But and it's not it's a sign of a bad pilot. If you do a lot of ground looping, you're not a great Mm -hmm. pilot. But and so just kind of a, a dark humor. She considered herself an artist at ground looping. So she does it. She ground loops again. But in this case, it came in handy because so when she loops the plane on the ground, she avoids the rocks. But it really could have been a whole lot worse. Uh, The farmer who owned the field comes out and he summons his mechanic who asked Blanche what was wrong. 
Now, Blanche had no idea what was wrong, but she replies, I think the fuel lines are clogged because she had remembered somebody else saying when their engine quit that their fuel lines were clogged. So this was just a kind of a convenient excuse for her. So sure enough, they open up the engine cowl and lo and behold, the fuel lines are indeed clogged. But the problems wouldn't end there. The field she had landed in had cows. It was a cow field. The cows had wandered over to kind of see what was going on, and they began to lick the side of her airplane because one of the chemicals that's used when they coat this airplane is this stuff called dope, and dope had a sweet element to it. So what happened is the cows are now licking the airplane because this this covering is sweet, and when the cow's saliva would interact with this, the fabric would start to sag, and that's a problem because you want your it. Not only will the fabric pull away from the, the the airframe of the airplane, but also because it makes the airplane less aerodynamic. So it's a problem when cows are licking your airplane in general. If that should ever come up, so she chases away the cows, she fixes the engine, and now she sets about to start out for California again. Well, well, you know what? She got lucky by finding the hill. She got lucky by finding a mechanic. You know, and then, but still, aviation sure sounds a lot different back then than it does now. Yeah, it really does. You don't hear too many uh, cow licking delays these yeah. days. You hear a lot of delays, but no cow licking delays. The so-called Powder Puff Derby from Santa Monica, California to Cleveland, Ohio, was to be marked by accidents and confusion. And this was a big deal. So back then, this 1929 race, this was going to be the first race that women would compete in with the men. So it was a big deal. There were a lot of eyes on them. There was just problem after problem with this race. Bad weather would be a problem. Insufficient experience would be a problem. And it would account for many groundings of the Flyers. There was some comical incidents, and, but they were blotted out by a tragic crash that occurred when beloved Flyer Marvell Crosson would be killed by carbon monoxide poisoning, and her airplane would crash. And this was after the race had started, and they were really thinking about just just ending the race. Just, this is it. We don't want any more accidents. But the women got together, and they decided to to marshal on. They're going to continue with this, this race. So Blanche herself, she got out to a good start from Santa Monica, and with her, she was carrying a gallon of water, three days' worth of food, and a parachute. The pilots were forced to use shaky navigation uh, compasses, roadmaps, and dead reckoning to fly across the country. And they would use what they called an iron compass. And the iron compass is the railroad. A lot of times they would find rail lines because they would generally fly in very distinct east-west or north-south patterns. So it's hard to go wrong by following the railroad. Wasn't there a time where there were markings on top of buildings to help guide aviators? I'm glad you asked that question. In fact, that's going to play a part a little bit further in our story here. But great question. Okay, but so, you know, like you were saying, they had trouble with this this one pilot crashing. And Blanche had heard her troubles, obviously, with this field and the cows and everything. But so how well was this thing organized? Is this all because it's all just still new, too new for people to realize all these complications um yeah that's part of it they had the they had the route planned out but the problem was is that 
one of the one of the destination spots they said they decided after the race had already started that they didn't want to do it right okay. so you got bad weather in this location they have this this location here says they can't do it so they were almost shifting it as they went wow. as the race occurred sounds like a work in progress definitely a work in progress and a couple of the pilots if you're ever familiar with uh poncho barnes she landed in mexico amelia Earhart was racing in this race so there were a lot of people this was the best of the best of the women's pilots there weren't a lot but a lot of people were focused on these women and uh, the race that they were in. So there they are. So they're flying. They start out in California. They dip a little bit south. They're in Texas, and now they're going to go north across the country. And, but, however, once they were over, however, about 50 miles west of Pecos, Texas, Blanche Noise had a terrible sensation. She smells smoke. This sounds bad. It sure was. Quickly, wisps of smokes were cutting into the cockpit. She was keeping her plane on an even keel, but she tried to look around to find the source of the fire, and it was in the baggage compartment just below her shoulders. Now, Dewey had instructed her that if she ever sensed that she had a fire, she was supposed to side-slip the airplane. So she's kind of flying the airplane at an angle, if that makes sense. So she has her nose a little bit pointed away from the horizon, but she's kind of flying at an angle now, and that is to divert the fire away from her. So if generally, if you're having a fire in an airplane, it's probably from the engine, but in this case, it wasn't. It was actually uh, behind her. But either way, she needs to land to figure out where this fire is coming from. So she's side-slipping the airplane, and she doesn't see there's nothing around here. There's just, just tumbleweeds, dirt, there's no houses, there's no roads. It's desolate. It's just there's nobody for absolute miles. So Dewey told her to keep the fire from the engine away from her face, and that's what she did. So she's now she's flying, and she's looking for a smooth spot to land, but when she looks down, she doesn't see anything but mesquite trees, stones, uh, bushes covering the rough, uneven ground. Uh, with the smoke growing denser, she had no choice but to land. So she lands on the desert floor, and it's a rough landing. And she hops out of the plane and immediately begins to look for the source of the fire. At first, she couldn't find it, but she quickly discovered it in the baggage compartment. And as she's furiously racing to try to open the cowl, she's also looking for her fire extinguisher. And in her haste, she's trying to pull this fire extinguisher from the metal mount, and she tore it right out of the airplane, but then she couldn't get the extinguisher out of the actual mount herself. So the fire extinguisher is no good, but she's still her plane's still on fire. So she figures out it's in the baggage compartment. Now she's tearing everything out of the baggage compartment, and she's putting the fire out by, sand, by throwing sand on it and her bare hands. So it doesn't sound like the whole fire's consuming the airplane, but it quickly will unless she does something about it. But she does it. She figures it out. She put out the fire, but she has a problem. So there she is by herself in the desert with an airplane that just caught on fire. The engine's turned off, and she doesn't have any place to, to take off. Now she's, tr now she's in big trouble. Now, since she was the last plane to take off, she knows that there are no other planes behind her. There's nobody behind her. There's nobody really in front of her. Everybody had taken off and left her. She's by herself. There is nobody there to summon help. And at 81 pounds, she would struggle to start the airplane, but was also able to crank it over. And so the way they did it back then, there was a crank in the front of the airplane. It was a spring you wound up. Then you had to go and run, jump into your airplane, turn on your magneto, release the spring, and hope that the plane would start. She had never started an airplane before. 
So there she is, 81 pounds in the desert. Nobody's around for miles. And now she has a, a damaged airplane. The engine is stopped. It just caught on fire. She's got some problems. Well, like I said earlier, aviation was way different back, back then. Much, much different. Wow. So she does it. She's able to get everything figured out. She started the airplane, but now she's going to struggle to take off. The more she takes off, the, the more difficult it would become. In fact, the landing gear is kind of pressing into the wing. So it's even going to be a further problem because now she's damaging her landing gear. Now with her landing gear on the left-hand side kind of pushed up into her wing, now she's going to have a trouble landing the plane when, wherever she decides to land. So it's, the problems are compounding here. It's amazing she was even able to take off at all. It, it certainly was, and she's lucky. She's lucky she did not uh, uh, die and get killed. Um, so there she is. She's struggling to take the airplane off. She would try several times to gain enough speed and altitude to clear the trees, but she simply could not. And every time she tried, the left side of her landing gear would push further and further into the wing. Finally, with one last attempt... She cleared the trees and she decided to fly to her next stop in Pecos, Texas, where she would simply put her parachute on, level off at 200 feet and jump. So she makes it to Pecos, Texas, where she was trying to figure out what to do. As she circled the field, she could see fire trucks were going one way, ambulances were going to the other with all the bells and sirens blaring. So instead of parachuting out, she decided to attempt a one-wheel landing because wow. she couldn't stand all the bells and whistles from the fire trucks on the ground. <laughs> so she brings the plane down, in her words, like a crippled bird, and ground-looped at the very end of the landing, which saved the plane from further damage and to the applause of everyone on the ground expecting a fiery crash. That's actually pretty impressive. It was really? very impressive, absolutely. So with the ambulance and the fire trucks, <clears throat> when they got there, they saw her plane in shreds, holes in the wing. It was, it was a mess. And when they asked her what had happened, she explained that she had had a fire on board and a previous rough landing. They directed her to first aid tent, where instead she went into town, where she found a blacksmith and set him to repairing the landing gear. Meanwhile, she bought some linen and thread from a Ben Franklin store, and she set about repairing the wing. Ben Franklin stores were a little before my time. I think I know what they are. Do you know what they are, Dan? Yeah, Ben Franklin stores. And there is still one in Oberlin, Ohio. If you get a chance, really? they still have a Ben Franklin. Wow. But Ben Franklin's, I think, were called five and dimes, yeah, right? Because right. everything was more or less either... Five cents or ten cents. Yeah, I kind of associate the old World War stores with the five and dimes department stores. Yeah, kind of a departmental store, but kind yeah. of geared toward younger people. There's yeah. a lot of like books and candy and stuff like that. Yeah, but kind of geared toward kids and the kids and that kind of thing. Right. I when I was growing up, there was one in where I grew up at in Ohio, and it was just before my time. I I don't remember it, but you know these Facebook pages where you go back and you I grew up in this city and I grew up in that city people mentioned that, that it was there when I was growing up but I just don't remember it so in the morning as Blanche is firing up the engine and preparing to take off the race director hustled over to her and told her that she couldn't because none of the welds that the blacksmith had ever done had ever held up Blanche said that well I don't care I trust this and I'm gonna take off I want to race and that's what she did so she takes off, and the next stop is Wichita, Kansas, 
Now, this is the place where they bought the plane. This is Walter Beach's factory is in Wichita, Kansas. So he kind of leveraged it so he can take care of some of the planes that he had in the race. He had other planes in the race. So it was fortunate that she was able to land there, and they put a whole new bottom on the plane. Up some lost time. She was able to fight her way from last place up to fourth place and narrowly lost to Amelia Earhart, who had finished third. Wow, that's... that. that. I can't believe she kept on flying after all that. And she was like, in, like you said, in dead last place and everybody was in front of her and she was still able to finish up, up into the fourth place position. That's pretty good. Yeah. It was really good for an actress with four hours flight instruction. You solo and here you are, you're beating everybody almost in the whole world and you fight your way into fourth place. She was tough. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, and so she, uh, and really all the women in that race had to be tough. They had endure sabotage, just there were a lot of people that were against them, and they were brave women, and they, they were pioneers, and they really were the ones who made it all happen. So Blanche would arrive in Cleveland, and nobody on the field would ever forget her appearance at the conclusion of the first air race. She was pale, disheveled, and weary. Mm. She was dragged out of her airplane over to a microphone the moment she gets out of her plane. When she was told that she must say something to the waiting crowd of thousands, she could only gasp, oh boy, I'm glad to be here. Her friend Louise Thaden would go on to win the race. And so when they would put the laurel over Louise Thaden's head, they have this whole big wreath of roses. And when they put this over her neck to signify that she won the race, the only thing she could say is, hey, can you take this damn thing off? Because somebody had forgot to take the thorns oh, out wow. of the roses. So they kind of <laughs> stuck her a little bit. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, so she pulled it off. Yes. After all that stuff. And her name is splashed all over the local paper. She was touted as a local hero and truly she was. So in December of that same year, along with Amelia Earhart, Ruth Nichols, Louise Staden and others, she was among the fellow founders of the 99s. I've heard of them. Yes, and the 99 is a woman's flying association that continues to this day. She would qualify as transport pilot in December of 1929. She would participate as an aerobatics performer at the National Air Races in 1930, 31, and 1932. And she would participate in many of the closed-course air races of the day. So, so she continued to race. She would continue to race. And kind of one of the problems of the airplanes back then, it was really, these were backyard mechanics. These guys were just, just hauling their planes from place to place. There was no real true corporate sponsorship. There was no mechanics. You had to do everything yourself. So just the mere fact that they were able to pull that off was, was really impressive. Well, I don't know. Did I mention that aviation was really different back then? Aviation was extremely different back then. You're spot on there. Um, in 1931, Blanche was hired by the Great Lakes Aircraft Company as a demonstration pilot. And the Great Lakes Aircraft Company was pretty cool. They were headquarters in downtown Cleveland, and they made airplanes for beginners. So that's another part of aviation in Cleveland, that you could go and buy an airplane and essentially just learn to fly right then and there. In 1933, because of her many f various flying endeavors, she was asked by the Standard Oil Company of Ohio to demonstrate the new 300 mile per hour Pitcairn Auto Gyro. And this is a precursor to the modern helicopter. And she so mastered the mechanics of the new machine that 
she was chosen to be the demonstration pilot over the far more experienced Miss Amelia Earhart. Wow. So, so Blanche Noyes would soon become an aviation celebrity, and she was able to interest more known business leaders in aviation, including the then 91-year-old John D. Rockefeller Sr., who would take his one and only airplane ride with Blanche Noyes. She was able to enjoy greater success and began to be in demand as a lecturer and author on aviation. Not only aviation, but it sounds like she was becoming like world famous. She was, and that was kind of cool. When the air races were being held in Cleveland, this was being transmitted throughout the whole world by this new technology of radio. Soon, all of these names, like Amelia Earhart, Blanche Noyes, and a lot of the men, they would become known throughout the world simply because of this air racing. And that was part one of our episode on aviation pilot Blanche Noyes. Stay tuned for part two. Hello. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more like it, head over to ohiomysteries.com. With over 500 podcasts to choose from, there's sure to be one that's going to keep you captivated. I'm Dan, and I can be found at YouTube at North Coast History and Haunts. My partner Mike can be found at Facebook at Too Late for Autographs. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.